but I want to share with you, uh, about six months or so ago, God began to really prick my heart about intimacy. And um, I shared a couple messages with you at that time about what God was trying to work in me and still trying to work in me. Let me tell you something. I believe that this is a work God does in us to the day we die bringing us into deeper intimacy with him. And I just, Lord put this psalm on my heart, and I'm going to be honest with you. To do this psalm complete justice, I ought to deal with all five verses. But I'm only going to have time to deal with the first two. But I want you to grab the truth in these first two verses. Because I want to tell you, it's, been a burden on my heart all week. The Bible says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth, now notice this, in his heart, not outwardly, in his heart. Father, would you so work these truths in us this morning that you could be glorified, you could be honored, and you could be praised. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'll get into the historical backdrop of this passage in just a moment. But I want you to listen to the heart, my heart just a moment. Will you let me do that? There's a difference between casual fellowship and intimate fellowship. There's a difference between occasional fellowship and continual fellowship. Now listen, every born-in child of God has fellowship with God. Are y'all hearing me say amen? But that's not the issue. The issue is... What kind of fellowship? Is it occasional? Or is it continual? Is it casual? Or is it intimate? That's what this psalm deals with. Now, a lot of people take this psalm and they use it as a platform to teach salvation comes, fellowship comes through salvation. I've got news for you. That has nothing to do with what this psalm is talking about. This psalm is written by David. David was already saved. And David knew fellowship with God. Now, but yet in that, David had this strong desire. And David here outlines for us how to live and enjoy intimate fellowship with God as a believer. Not casual, not occasional, intimate. In other words, here's what I'm saying. Where fellowship with God becomes the supreme desire and affection 
of each of our hearts. Because this is what David's dealing with here. Now, he does this by beginning to ask two questions. So I want you to look at this with me. If you have an outline with you, the inquisition concerning intimate fellowship. David inquires upon the Lord of how to have this intimate fellowship. Now, you have to take it from the understanding of David being the holy of holies where the presence of God was in the tabernacle or the temple. And he says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? The holy hill speaks that of Mount Zion or that where the holy of holies would have been. The tabernacle speaks of the holy of holies itself. And David here inquires and he says, who, who shall abide? in your fellowship. Now I want you to see, he asks two distinct questions, and each question has a different connotation to it. Okay? The first question is a question of desire. Now you have to determine first, when he asks this first question, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? You have to answer that. Is he asking this rhetorically, or is he asking this truly wanting the answer? If he was asking it rhetorically, here's the way it would read. Who? Like, really, who could really abide in his presence? I got news for you. David wasn't asking it rhetorically. This was a question of deep desire of David's heart. It was more like this. Who, oh Lord, could abide in your presence? This was a passion of David. It was something that had captivated his heart. Now, backdrop to this psalm is them bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And you can imagine when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, how Israel would celebrate and and worship and praise and sing and rejoice. Hallelujah to the Lord. Can you imagine the gladness? Can you imagine the joy that would come in the heart as that, as that Ark of the Covenant was being ushered into Jerusalem back to the Holy of Holies? It's rightful place. And David here in that heart of ex- ex- joy is saying, Who, O oh Lord, who, O oh Lord, can dwell, can abide in your presence? You see, for David, the idea or the thought of this intimate fellowship with God was something that brought great joy, great, great excitement to his life. He was expressing his desire here. Now, in this first question, giving that historical backdrop, we have two things we need to understand. Number one, the way of a sojourner. You say, what do you mean a sojourner? This word abide here in in the first question. Most of the time when we see abide, we think it means to attach oneself to one or become one with someone. Doesn't mean that here. Matter of fact, it's translated 58 times in the Hebrew as sojourn. It speaks of a stranger, translated that way six times. It speaks of a stranger 
makes his journey, who doesn't have his residence in Jerusalem, and he makes his journey to Jerusalem those three times a year in the Feast of the Passover, in the Feast of the First Fruits, Feast of the Tabernacle. He'd make his journey these three times a year up to Jerusalem just to be near the Lord's presence. And the way of a sojourner would be a hard road. But I want you to understand, you wouldn't take that journey unless it was a deep desire of the heart. Think about it, folks. These people would travel by foot, sometimes three, four days, especially if they were coming from Galilee. They would travel three or four days, walk, just to get to Jerusalem, just to get near, not in, near the Lord's presence. And yet we have trouble getting up an hour early. I mean, the way of a sojourner was that in which everything about their lives would be laid aside to go to Jerusalem to be near the Lord's presence. But notice the willingness of a soldier in this question of desire. What would one that would make this journey know as he's making this journey? that he could not come casually into the outer courts of the temple. He would have to come with a sacrifice, specifically a burnt offering. More specifically, an offering that pictures the surrender of himself and his family. And this journey would journey his way with his family two, three, four days just to get to Jerusalem. And as he did, he knew when he got there that when he laid his hands upon that, that burnt offering, in an act of worship, he was surrendering himself and his family unto the Lord as an act of worship. Now, aren't you glad today we don't have to bring a sacrifice? Aren't you glad today our burnt offering has already been taken care of? But yet Romans 12, 1 says that we are living sacrifices, that we ought to continuously be on the, on the altar of surrender, the altar of sacrifice as a sweet-smelling savor unto God. Can I tell you today, you'll never know intimate fellowship without surrender. You can know occasional. You can know casual. But intimate fellowship. Intimate fellowship where at all times you're sensitive to His presence. And at all times you're sensitive to His prompting. At all times you're sensitive to His voice. Intimate. Liberty, it's no doubt God has done an amazing work among us. Would you agree with that? Say amen. amen. But what does God want to do? 
your pastor, I want you to listen to me. I believe this is the one thing among many, but the one thing above all things God's wanting to do in us as a church. Individually and corporately. Intimate fellowship. Now I've said this to you before. I don't say it to blow your heads up. I say it because it's the truth. I've preached in 150, 160, I don't know, 170, I don't know how many churches. This is by far the best preaching church I've ever preached in in my lifetime. And I want you to listen. The reason it is is because there's a lot of people here have a desire for the Word. Now to take that and have intimate fellowship. You see, there was a willingness in the soldier. Well, this is the question of desire, but watch this. Notice the second question. David takes it one step further. Now it becomes not a question of just desire, just wanting to be in his presence. As a stranger, not worthy to be in his presence, but just to be near his presence. But now David takes it one step further, and he says, oh, but wait a minute, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? The word dwell means to live in. The word dwell means to stay in. The word dwell means to camp in. And here becomes a question of the because now David says, listen, I want, to, I want to be in your presence. But here's what David said. When I get there, I don't want to leave it. I want to live in it. This question of delight involves two things. The pursuit of fellowship. Here's what's unique about this. This word dwell is the Hebrew word. Shekan, which is the word we get Shekinah from. You say, what's Shekinah? You remember when the Bible says that the presence of God came into the Holy of Holies? It says that it was the Shekinah glory of God that fell in that place. And here's what David said. I want to live in your Shekinah. I want to live in your presence. I want to live where you are. I don't want to leave it. I don't want to just be a sojourner that comes three times a year. I want to camp out in your presence. Hey, can I tell you, David never know this, but you and I can. All David could do was delight in the desire, but you and I can live in what David delighted in. It's an amazing little phrase. Look at Psalm 42 with me just a moment. The psalmist expresses this deep delight and desire. You can probably quote it, but if you want to look at it, here it is, as a heart or as a deer panteth for the water brook. Watch what he says. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God. The word thirst here means to thirst unto death. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Notice this psalmist wrote. He says, listen, as a deer that pants for water, as a deer whose, whose mouth has become parched with thirst and pants, desires, longs, desperate for the water, my soul pants. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I believe this depicts David's desire and his delight. But I'm going to be honest with you as well. You'll never know intimate fellowship with God until God gets you to that place in your life. That in respect to every other thing in your life, every other thing in your life, let me repeat that, every other thing in your life, your number one passion is intimate fellowship with Him. And when you're not in intimate fellowship, You can't be at rest. And you know it. And you're willing to do anything and everything that you must do to get back into that intimate fellowship. How many agree today we're not going to be sinless perfect? But not only the pursuit for fellowship, but the permanence of fellowship. David here, and using this term, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Who shall live in? Here's what he's expressing. An uninterrupted fellowship with God that never stops. You know, guys, listen. God's still working this in your preacher. I'm just being honest. You say, well, preacher, you shouldn't tell us that stuff. Why? Guess what? I've not arrived. And if you have, come see me after church. But the permanence of fellowship is this. that when God gets me and you to the place that I won't be settled until I walk in that intimate fellowship with Him. That's what God's working in me. Well, notice secondly, not only the inquisition concerning intimate fellowship, the instruction concerning intimate fellowship. So now David answers his question. And you would think, well, this answer in verse 2, it's, it's pretty simple. Well, it has a treasure trove of meanings. Watch what he says. Here's the answer of the who. He begins by saying, he that walketh uprightly. Now, as I said before, this is not a prescription for salvation. This is a prescription for the saved to want to dwell and enjoy the presence of God. Are y'all hearing me say amen? But I will say this. If you're truly saved, you will desire it. And if you don't desire it, you never had it. Are y'all hearing me say amen? But for those that are saved, what's the prescription? Well, watch it with me. 
the requirement of purity. This word uprightly, here's what it means. It means perfectly or it means to be complete or genuine. It draws from this, this idea of a life of genuineness. Now you say, what do you mean a life of genuineness? This word is translated 44 times without blemish. It's translated 18 times perfect. And here's what it has to do with. When a, when a sojourner would bring his offering unto the priest to be sacrificed unto the Lord, he would take and, and he literally rub his hands along the whole outside of that, of that bullock or that sacrifice that he would bring to see if there was any blemishes in that sacrifice. And then when he would bring it to the priest, the priest would do the same thing. And the priest would examine and search and, and feel if there's any blemishes within the sacrifice. Because the only sacrifice God would accept is the perfect without blemish sacrifice. Well, here's the deal. You and I can't bring to God without blemish. You and I can't bring to God yourself that is without blemish. But can I tell you today, aren't you glad that Jesus Christ, who was without blemish, who is the one that never sinned, who is the one that never thought of sin, he became our sacrifice. And now through Christ, the without blemish sacrifice, you and I can come into the presence of a holy God. But at the same time, the requirement falls upon you and me. Through Christ. You say, what do you mean? It means to have intimate fellowship with God, you must walk uprightly, which means this. As much as you know, or as much as God has showed you, you have dealt with everything that you know God has showed you. Now, how many of you agree we all have unknown sins? I'm not referring to that. That's the reason we depend upon Christ. But how many of you agree if you sin as a believer, God deals with you many, many times? So what it's saying is here's who can dwell. Not just be a sojourner, an occasional, but one that dwells, lives in continuously is one that allows him and her to be examined. And in being examined, allows him and her to be clean before God as much as they know. An old preacher, when God called me to preach, he gave me two pieces of advice. The second piece of advice he gave me was this. Stay clean and you'll stay close. How much does it take to grieve the Spirit of God? How many agree your fellowship with God is absolutely, totally dependent upon the Spirit of God in you? So here's the picture. That we would be genuine. There would be a genuineness about us that uprightly we would walk. But not only does it speak of a life of genuineness, it speaks of a life of wholeness. Because here's what it means. In no part with blemish. Now, y'all going to love me? Say amen. You promise, say amen. Here's what it means. It don't mean 
that I have certain areas of my life that are surrendered to the Lord, but some areas of my life that are not surrendered to the Lord. No, here's what it means. Everything I know that God showed me, I've raised the white flag of surrender to. Now I want you to listen to me. For some of us, that means laying down some things that you've put, allowed yourself to be a part of for years and years and years and years. For some of us, it means making literally some lifestyle changes on how your day-to-day functions go. But to have intimate fellowship, David said, I've got to be holy of Now again, you're not going to be sinless perfect. You're going to have blind spots. You're going to have those. That's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the things that you know that God has showed you. But notice, not only the requirement of purity, but the requirement of practice. He says, and worketh righteousness. Notice he didn't say has righteousness. He says worketh righteousness. You say, what does that mean? It means a practice. It means righteousness is practiced. Righteousness is lived out in your life. There's two things here, the expectation of righteousness. So if righteousness, how many of you agree today that when God saved you, he gave you his righteousness? Would you all agree with that? Say amen. All right, did God give you his righteousness just so you could bask in it? Or did God give you his righteousness through his life that he could live that righteousness through you? You see, this is a general expectation. I mean, why would God give us righteousness if God didn't expect righteousness to be able to be lived out through us? You say, well, preacher, I can't live out righteousness. You got it. You won. I won what? You're at the place now you can live in righteousness because when you realize you can't live in it, you can't live it out yourself, and it's his righteousness, and therefore only he can live it out through you, but you've got to make yourself available that he can live it out through you, guess what? You'll begin to walk in it, and you don't even realize you are. It's an expectation. But notice the expression of righteousness. To be lived out through speaks of two things, an upward. How many of you agree God knows your heart? How many agree God knows your thoughts? How many of y'all want me to shut up? <laughs> In other words, God knows our motives. Upwardly, does God know that our motives are righteous, consistent with his righteousness? How does God see it? But now, here's the other thing. It speaks of an outward righteousness. If you read verses 3 through 5, which I'm not going to, but 3 through 5 is righteousness expressed outwardly to others. It has to do with man before man, how righteousness is lived out before man. You'll do it in honesty. You'll do it in integrity. You won't do it trying to gain something from someone else. Read verses 3 through 5. You're going to find righteousness lived out outwardly. So here's the reality. To have intimacy. Who can, who can dwell? Who can live in his presence? Who can live in intimate fellowship with him? He that 
lives out the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Before God, before others. Well, lastly, the requirement of proclamation. Now listen, this is the one that, to me, is the most impactful. And speaketh the truth in his The word truth here means without false pretense. It speaks of three things. It speaks of a heart that consumed with truth. How many of you agree today that our hearts can be easily deceived? So what keeps our hearts from being deceived? Truth. So a heart consumed with truth is what? Listen. Intimacy with God is not you always talking to Him, but Him talking to you. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Can I tell you some of the best times I've had with the Lord? Is me just sitting in a chair or being on my knees and not saying a word and just being sensitive to what God wants to say. Now, I found this. A lot of times what God wants to say, I don't necessarily want to hear all the time. Y'all hearing me say amen. But to be consumed, a heart consumed with truth, here's what it means, that you become saturated with the Word. That you're not deceived in your heart. Can I ask the question, how come so many people today think it's okay and permissible to live clearly out of the confines of the Word of God? They're deceived. Do y'all agree with that? Say amen. So how do I keep from being deceived? Consume myself. So notice what it says here. So it says, who speaketh the truth in his heart. So not only a heart consumed with truth, a heart that is consistent with truth. You say, what do you mean by this? The word speak the truth in his heart. Here's what it means. It means to what you say outwardly matches what's true of you inwardly. Don't raise any hands. Y'all promise me, say amen. Y'all promise, say amen. But how many people in here would just be honest before the Lord, not before me, before the Lord, and say there are some blind spots I don't want anybody to see about me? When it means to speak from heart means this that what you say with your lips matches what's true of your heart there's no pretense about you pretense but in other words you're being truthful about what your heart is you're not putting on any mask you're not dressing up for someone else you're not dressing your clothes up just so nobody knows the closet or the skeletons in your closet in other words who you are is who you really are Y'all got it? Say amen. 
that person can live in intimate fellowship with God. But lastly, a heart that continues in church. There's going to be moments when you're going to sin. There's going to be moments when you're going to put forth a facade of pretense. You say, why is that, preacher? Because that's your humanity. Doesn't excuse it, but it's the reality. But see, that's not the question. The question is, when you do, is intimate fellowship with God so important and passionate to you that when you do, the Spirit of God has the liberty immediately to smite your heart and say, wait a minute. That ain't right. Deal with it right now. Would you not agree today that every one of us born of Adam were born self-defensive? Why under the nature of Adam were we born self-defensive? Because in our lostness, we wasn't God-centered, we were self-centered. Therefore, if we could defend ourselves, we viewed it as to our advantage. Well, this is the opposite of what David is saying for someone that has intimacy with God. So here it is, in a nutshell. In your walk with the Lord, right now, right here, where you sit, your fellowship with God, where is it? Casual? Intimate? Occasional, continual. Then let me ask you a question. Are you willing for God to work in you what he worked in David? Where you would be to the place the only delight of my heart is to live in your presence. I don't want to stay where I am anymore. And are you willing to sacrifice, surrender, anything that's keeping you from walking in intimate fellowship with Him? Are you willing to deal with it right here, right now, whatever God's showing you? Now, you may be here today and you'd say, Preacher, I know my fellowship's not where it needs to be, but just to be honest, I don't know what's standing in the way. Then can I ask you a question? Are you willing to ask him to show you? Now, I want you to listen to me. If you ask him, he'll show you. And you've got to be willing to receive whatever he shows you. So right here, right now, 
How many want intimate fellowship with Him? And how many are not there? But yet I'm not going to rest till God gets me there. And I want to stay there when I get there. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. You're merciful. You're mighty. You're sufficient. Father, as we've already looked, you've given us the privilege to enjoy your presence, fellowship with your presence, yield to your presence, obey your presence. Know your presence. Father, even though we're never going to be sinless perfect till we get to glory, Father, we know that we can deal with in confession and repentance whatever you've already showed us. Whatever it is that's keeping us from knowing intimacy with you. Father, my prayer for us is that you would not let us settle with casual fellowship or occasional fellowship. But Father, like when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, the only rejoicing of our heart would be intimate fellowship. It would be our heartbeat, be our passion, be the joy of our life. So whatever you're saying to our hearts, let us obey you this morning. Guard us from making excuses. Love everything, make your desire our desire. Because you desire to fellowship with us. But do we desire to fellowship with you? In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name, and all God's children said,